Welcome to Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. Today we are going to go deeper into leadership beginnings. Uh, we've talked about kind of the overview and the intent, and today we're going to talk about truly getting to know your team. And that will entail things like meeting them where they're at, how leaders need to be multilingual, promoting self-awareness, getting them to get to know themselves or seeing if they know themselves and if necessary, helping them to get that, to get down that process, finding out how they want to be led, finding out how they might respond to how you naturally lead and if there's any anything to do in between there. And then finally, if whether or not it's actually a job fit. So enjoy the show. <laughs> episode three i'm kind of excited because uh the the idea behind the next few episodes is really doing a little bit of a deep dive into what do we mean by getting to know your team and what is it that are uh a, a little bit more granular on on what you'll need to do in order to find out who they are share who you are and really find that common ground um this is probably a topic and this area that we're probably going to refer somebody like Brene Brown a little bit more. Um, she's, she's very much about vulnerability and, um, what else? Like she does all kinds Just of stuff. Just that, that idea behind vulnerability and what it really means. And if you don't have a, a background with Brene Brown and, and her work, you know, she has a doctorate in social work. Uh, she's one of the preeminent professionals on, on this idea of, opening up and being honest, being transparent with one another, and actually the idea of not just connected leadership, which is what we're talking about, but connection in general. Yes. So that idea of being vulnerable, it's that authenticity. If you're not vulnerable with people, if you're asking them to do things and share with you, but you're not willing to share in return, there's going to be a wall that won't come down until you're vulnerable yourself with what you want, what you want to see, your expectations, and a lot of times the why behind that. And that's going to be a very recurring theme throughout this show will be if you are in the position of leadership, it is up to you to start. It is up to you to lead by example. If I think I talked about it in a previous episode, if I didn't, I'll say it again. I had a boss, my one of my first bosses that I really respected said to me, I will never ask you to do anything that I will not do or have not done. And that is a that is a leadership example. And it was it was impactful. It, it, it led me down the road that I'm on now. It was, it was the very beginning. It was the origin story. So let's talk a little bit about um, getting to know people starts with meeting them where they're at. The first thing, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to quote myself. I do that sometimes. Um, before I get to my quote, I'm going to start with meeting them where, where they're at. What does that mean? It's basically like if they're shy, back off a little bit. Let, let them come out of their shell. If if they have a little bit more brash or they're a little bit more social, like try to keep up. It doesn't matter whether you're super introverted or super extroverted. It's kind of your job to try to adjust. So here's my quote. It is the leader's job to be multilingual. What do I mean by that? First, let's start with what that does not mean. It does not mean catering specially to every single individual and treating them completely different every single person across the board. You're a human. You have consistency of behavior. You have things that you like to do. You have things that you like to say. You have ways that you like to be. 
So it doesn't mean that you have to change who you are as a human every time you talk to a new person on your team, but you do have to adjust. And it is your responsibility as the leader to adjust. So if you are extroverted and an introvert comes to your team, you can't demand that they talk. That's not how it works. I know I've done that and I'm not even extrovert. You can instead say, listen, on your own time, I would love to hear about you. I would love to know the things that make you comfortable enough to talk. If somebody tells you, yes, in fact, I'm introverted, then you can do some studying and you can also listen to Josh and I, because we know a lot about this kind of topic. One of the things about introverts is they'll talk when they're comfortable to whom they are comfortable talking. Trust. Absolutely always comes back to trust. You're either in the circle or you're not. And introverts have a real tight circle with real strong boundaries. So acknowledge that and then act accordingly. So again, if you're, in fact, Josh and I are, we're not opposites, but we are on different ends of the spectrum. Josh is way more extroverted. I'm way more introverted. I would not label myself an introvert, strictly speaking, because of things like me doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Uh, But I will say that I skew quite a bit more introverted than Josh, who is just a very gregarious, outgoing person, easy to get along with, probably has a great time in the grocery lines. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's an epic fail lurking in here, though. So, okay, cool. like first first chicken walk for for an epic fail. Uh, if you are verbose, if you are uh, extroverted, there is that line of getting to know your people where you you lead and you lead by that example, but you must listen. I certainly have had uh, multiple instances where I've. I feel that trust up front. It's the kind of thing for me where I'm going to trust you until there's a reason not to at a certain level. Mm-hmm. There are deeper levels of trust that you have to earn. But it's something where you go too far with somebody who's introverted and you'll be digging yourself out of that for a really long time. And that's where getting curious and asking questions, where using things like Clifton Strengths. Um, or Strengths Finder, some people might know it by simply going through using disk assessments, finding out what people are about and what makes them tick, which is part of what we're talking about with this episode of getting to know your team. It's crucial because if you overstep their boundaries before they're established, then you're going to lose trust and then you have to rebuild it. So yeah. it basically puts you back to square one So or worse. I would say that generally speaking, somebody comes to a job or if they're encountering a new leader, even if they've had that job for a while, best bet is neutral. Like unless you've got somebody that, you know, really just wants to connect to whoever they're going to have to work with for a while. But that's a rare person. Most people in most jobs, they're coming at you with neutrality at the best. So if you fuck that up and you have to backpedal and start over, you're not a neutral anymore. You're in the negatives. You're in the red. And now you have to rebuild first just to get back to neutral. So building building back to what we were talking about around intent last week and some of our discussions, I think, in episode one around getting to know your team, expectations are critical because yeah. you can line out those expectations and part of your curiosity needs to be a discussion around what's your comfort level with sharing who you are and what you're about I've had instances where I really don't get to know somebody for months because of the fact that I need to be consistent first and that's how they work. And again, that breakdown, the the epic fails that I've had in those realms, they're real learning opportunities. So uh, don't repeat that. That's something that, that you should skip ahead to getting curious and asking, you know, how do you like to be coached? 
I think it's a great segue too into self awareness. Yeah, let's tell tell us about. Uh, we can we can uh, protect the innocent by not saying their names, or we can make up a new name. But I I love this story, so I would love to hear it again. So uh, my first day uh, working with Max and and the team at the bank, I was walking through the team and I was meeting people, and this person was wearing full body pajamas. They had a blanket over their head and shoulders. They were laying down with their head on their desk talking to a customer. And in trying to introduce myself, um, it, you know, obviously it, it, it was a little awkward, but at the same token, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm curious and I'm, I'm going to get to know people. I would have judged. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying I would have judged. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I wouldn't judge now, but I might have judged then. Might have judged then, yeah. So... Okay. We have our first one-on-one, and this individual sits down and says, I'm a leader. I'm a leader on the team. Um, I'm, you know, I know exactly what I'm looking for, what I want to be. I don't need a lot of coaching. Um, and it, it was this really brash statement of being a leader on the team. And then again, not from the standpoint of trying to block or take control of a situation, but establishing that common ground of us. What does it mean to be a leader to you? Eventually working into the conversation, how do you think other people see you on the team when you appear to be depressed, your head's down on the desk, you're not dressed, you're not giving a professional aura. You're on a phone call and you're damn near taking a nap. But it was more along those lines of even the leadership, and and I'm not one, we would, you know, in this environment, we're not face to face, Mm. we're on a call. And so they can't see us. So I want to caveat that like people had tattoos, people had gauges, they could leave them in nose piercings, things like that. That That didn't matter. That was actually one of the nice things about our particular work experience is that we did not have to patriarchy our people like we could hire it didn't matter what they looked like their diversification where they came from. Like none of that mattered. All that mattered was how do you sound on the phone? Like, and by how do you sound, meaning can you be nice? Can you, can you stay collected? Can you not lose your shit on customers? And can you kind of retain information? And then we got, we get to hire anybody we want, which was yeah. great. It works yeah. really nicely for a lot of people. I, I, I literally had one person in an interview who clearly had four or five facial piercings and very large gauges. They took them all out for the interview. And as we were going through the process of the interview and they were asking about the environment and I mentioned, you know, just so we're on the same page here, they can't see you. You can put your gauges back in. You can put your piercings back in. Your tattoos can show. We got no issue with that. The whole persona of this person by being able to bring their authentic self to work completely relaxed. It was a different interview from that point on. Yeah. But but back to this individual um, and their lack of self-awareness. They saw themselves as a leader. They had family who worked there who were leaders, bona fide leaders, fairly high up in the organizations and well-respected. And they were working towards something, but it was this lack of self-awareness. It's nothing but a starting point of how you see yourself versus how others see you. And if it's news to any of you, and and I'm calling this out specifically for managers in general, you can't become self-aware of where you have gaps unless you get feedback from people. That is where it comes from because if you're not self-aware, you are not seeing it. You have some unconscious bias, something that's missing. You have to, and it's critical that you get that from the people who work for you, the people who work with you, and the people that you work for. 
and to take that in aggregate because that is how you get better. And that's probably several episodes down the line and we'll probably dedicate a whole series to that. It's super important and uh, that's why we're going to dive into it. Exactly what you said. You you cannot completely self-explore by yourself, unfortunately. I, I mean, unless you climb up the mountain and you do meditation for, you know, decades I, I don't know how they do it but they still often like, i mean when i say they i'm talking about like monks like but they still have they, that's usually in plural <laughs> there there's usually several of them around and there's they, they can talk to each other we don't have that kind of time we don't have that kind of discipline that kind of patience it's important to get to know who you are and if you are in an organization that is willing to help you discover that by letting it happen instead of trying to tell you who you are, which I think a lot of corporations will try to do. They're trying to get you to fit that box. Yeah. They they want you to they want you to be a certain way. And so if you can conform and we've met people like that. I have worked with people that I call brainwashed because the corporate culture dictated who they needed to be at work. And I spent enough time with some of these folks outside of work. That's who they became outside of work. And you can see them evolve if you spend enough time with them. Anyway, this talk about chicken walk. I'm di- I'm digressing. Let's go back to this individual. <laughs> well, um, and I, I think really for the setup for the discussion around self-awareness, they were not aware in that moment of how they appeared to others. So the two big takeaways from, from this section are you can't become self-aware unless you are looking for feedback. But then the second one is you have to be curious as a manager to find out, again, what makes people tick, why they do what they do without judgment. There could be reasons. That could have just been one day and every other day could have been completely different. Yeah, I think the brilliant first step you took is, well, what does leadership mean to you? And do you, you know, there's a lot of inference in that. Do you believe that that requires example? Do you Mm -hmm. do you think you look the part? You didn't have to say any of that. You just asked, what does it look like to you? And I would imagine that was step one in this individual going, hmm. Yeah, so the the literal crux of that conversation was getting to the point where they could see it. And you're, you're setting it up by being curious and asking those questions. She answered the question of, well... Well, no, if I'm if I'm looking at somebody who's a professional that wants to be respected, they would be at work. They would be awake. They would be engaged. And that was really the the word behind it was engaged. And again, it wasn't that dictation of you need to dress this way. You need to have makeup on. You need to be wearing a jacket or a suit or any of that baloney. We didn't. It was it was. What is a leader in your mind? And then if that's what you want to be, how would that, how would you expect that person to dress? They started coming in dressed, prepared, awake, fed, rested. There was conversation, back conversation. She'd been out the night before with friends. This person's in their 20s. There's reasons behind things, and that's not who somebody is. That was a day in the life. But then that realization of how other people see them and establishing consistency, she drew those conclusions for herself, which is really, really important because if I tell you to do something, you're conforming to my box. But on the flip side, if I ask questions and awkward questions, which that's a phrase you're going to hear a lot, I'm opening emotional doors is the analogy that I like to to use. Do you want to walk through this door? Can we talk about why, you know, this... This is going down this way. Sometimes people will readily walk through that door because 
you're pointing something out and they get curious. Sometimes they know damn well what's behind that door and they don't want to deal with it right now. And that has to be okay too, because this is a process. But two big takeaways. Um, don't over-engage. Don't, don't talk too much. Don't share. Don't overshare. really mm-hmm. is, is the, the big key. And then be curious. What makes them tick is what's important, not how you want to change them. I'll only butt up against a little bit of that in a, in so much as don't overshare unless you're kind of invited. You can get to a point where your your team is open. They want to know about you. They've seen you want to know about them plenty. Real quick side story. We, we read a book to get all together called David Goggins. Not called David Goggins. He's the author. I don't know. What was it? Can't Hurt Me. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. But he talks about your bad hands, which is essentially the adversity in your life that you've experienced. So there's an exercise where he says, write them all down. Everything that's happened to you up to this point that is negative or has harmed you or has caused you an obstacle or slowed you down, write them all down. And I asked the team, do it. And let's everybody write, our, write down our bad hands. When we got to that chapter, write down your bad hands. I didn't invite everybody to share unless they wanted to. I shared. I started the uh, the meeting with, I'm going to read my bad hands. I'm not telling any of you guys you have to. This is an open moment for me. And I welled up a little bit. I revealed everything that I felt had, you know, really caused me to struggle in life. That would, I would call that an overshare for certain, in certain circumstances. <laughs> yeah. But this is years in. Yeah. This is a very bonded team. And it was a very safe space for me to do that. Everybody was exceptionally kind about it nobody nobody what came up to me later and like listen boss i gotta talk to you about like man you should have kept that shit at home no everybody was super cool about it so oversharing is contextual if you if you have the invitation if you have the bond if you have the 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 space you can overshare but that's that's advanced shit that's down the road and we're talking about leadership beginning so i just i wanted to like throw a little bit of a condition on that almost everything that we're gonna say I'm always going to asterisk with contextual. Yeah. It depends on the context. That's uh, that's interesting. And I'll, I'll, I'll bookmark this by saying uh, in that moment where other people had things that they were being very vulnerable with um, for myself, it was a reflection on privilege. My parents were married for 55 years. I grew up in a middle-class household. I had a college education. Like I, I didn't. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, it's funny. I joke all the time. Like I am the patriarchy now. I'm almost 50 years old. I'm a, a white middle-aged American male. Like, so yeah, the recognition of privilege in that moment was the hardest part for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, it doesn't matter how you get there, but, uh, we should do an episode on privilege at some point. Ah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's, I think the more of us that can accept what privilege is and what parts of it we have and just, just to just like, listen, we understand it's not a fair playing field. Um, I think, uh, if anybody's a fan of Dax Shepard and armchair expert, he Mm -hmm. talks very, um, openly about if he was a minority doing all of the shit he pulled when he was a kid, there's no way he would be a successful adult at this point. He'd be in prison. Because he pulled some real shenanigans yeah. <laughs> involving drugs, involving running away from cops. Like he did some real shit. And if he he's he feels quite certain if he wasn't white, he'd be in a different place. And so that's 
that's worth addressing. And if that's something that you don't agree with, all I can tell you is keep listening. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, valuable. It's to, context. It's, it's valuable to hear other points of view. Um, I think at this point by, you know, late 2023, we're, we're kind of starting to understand a little bit better and maybe that's naive of me, but I do hear a lot more conversations and I'm hopeful about it. Okay. I'd steer right back to last week about intent. Once you learn about what privileges you have had in your life, then that's where you can use that power or that authority. Authority is optional. Uh, with intent, nice. uh, you can bring up the women that work for you, the minorities that work for you, the LGBTQ plus community that works with you. Or that you work for. <clears throat> yeah. There's a lot and, of that. And uh, thankfully, there was a lot of that in our culture, too. Yeah. That definitely should be an episode that'll be a lot of fun. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit, helping them get to know themselves. Oh, real quick side note. That individual that we're talking about became a fucking superstar. <laughs> like, no doubt about it. She absolutely, she started with, I am a leader. She absolutely became a leader on the floor. Like she was well-known, well-respected. Yeah. Fast forward to nine months later where she was a leader and she was coaching and teaching others on the team, coaching and getting experience with others outside of her team, yeah. uh, working on contests and competitions within the team with some very meager budgets, which you may or may not have. Um, we could do an episode on how to motivate your team with zero budget. With zero fucking money. But uh, this individual, then we could have the contextual conversation about, do you remember like day three where we had our first one-on-one -on -one and you were talking about being a leader and just head down. The thing was she had the mentality of a leader, which was a growth mindset. She re recognized in the moment as soon as maybe we can even relate this to the privilege conversation. As soon as she realized, wait a minute, if I want to be seen as a leader, I have to act like a leader and that balance of being consistent it led to some really, really great learning moments. Things like, hey, I think this plan that I have for running a competition within the team and I think this will work. You know, what do you think? With the question of, again, being curious, do you think it'll work? And you see her just wilt a little bit. It's like, well, well yeah, that's why I'm doing it. It's like, and that's why it'll work. Hmm. And that acceptance of somebody who's never had authority who's never had autonomy to do things the way they want to do it because they've always been an order taker. Mm -hmm. If you can get to the point where you build a baseline of trust and then give somebody control over their own being, watch what happens with engagement because this is the real core of why I'm even sitting in this chair is when somebody realizes I have influence over my own outcomes and my own professional trajectory that's where shit gets real and it's really, really fun because you can start asking harder questions. They really get to know themselves. And once that buy-in and that effort is there, it's a whole different ballgame. Well, now we're we're straying way further down the line away from leadership beginning. So that's that's a that's a glimpse into where we're where we're headed. Maybe with some this. why behind it. This, yeah. If you know this is what can happen, then it can help you start with these things that we're encouraging you to start with. So how do you get to help them know themselves? The model that I have always been comfortable using is labeling things in a way that makes sense to people in so much as what they can control. So I'll give you, I'll give you the ladder that Josh and I have talked about and we come to agree on. On one side of the spectrum is things that you have less control over 
and on the other side of the spectrum are things that you have more control over. On the less side, you have values. Values are things that are given to you usually by your parents, your upbringing, your culture, your friends that you grew up with. Values are things that are usually instilled upon you when you're a tiny tot, and they get reinforced over and over and over for a period of time. The next step towards control, but still it's harder to control these, is what I call core principles. By the way, we are now treading into territory of yet another author that is a favorite of mine, and we're going to get into this guy later because all of the things that I learned and developed, this guy, once I started studying him, codified everything, really polished and turned this thing into bulletproof. His name is Ray Dalio. He wrote a book called Principles. If you haven't heard him, go look him up. He's even got, he's got stuff that helps people understand economics. There's a video out there, a YouTube video, really simple, straightforward, that will help you understand economics at its most fundamental core. It's got cool animations. And I dig his voice. He's got that like kind of old guy gravelly voice that I'm a big yeah. fan of. And if if you need any background for gravity, he manages the largest hedge fund in the world or America. One of the one of the two. Maybe the most successful hedge fund company. He also failed miserably by surrounding himself with yes people in the beginning of his career, mm-hmm. and his company collapsed. And then he started from scratch and built again with. Radical transparency. Radical transparency. But like I said, we're going to save that guy for later because that's, I would call that advanced shit. But I will say <laughs> that the things that I'm talking to you about now, uh, the, some of these are, are his um, his vocabulary, his vernacular. So core principles, these are, what I always recommend is identify three to five things that are your core principles. These are the things that drive you as a human being, and I'll describe, if you don't know how to get to those, I will talk about that in just a second. The next step down the line is principles. So these aren't your core principles, but these are things that guide who you are, generally speaking. So as an example, I have three core principles. The team that I had, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 principles that drove our team culture. Also, by the way, as you get down the spectrum, um, you tend to have a higher volume of. So you may have one or two values. You may be a highly spiritual person. That might be a value of yours. One of the reasons that I say that I put it on a spectrum is on the value side of the spectrum, these are things that are going to be harder for somebody to talk you out of. On the other side of the spectrum, you might have a discussion with somebody and go, oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to change that. So that leads me to the last thing on that end of the spectrum is rules. So starting with most difficult to change to easiest to change values, core principles, principles, rules. Yeah. You probably have hundreds of rules. Things like I make sure that I go to the airport two hours early. That's a rule. You just, you make that for yourself. You might know somebody who has a rule. They don't want to be at the airport any longer than they have to be. I'm describing my wife and I, by the way, <laughs> and therefore they refuse to leave the house any minutes sooner than they absolutely are required. We've compromised. I, Quick aside, this is a chicken walk. The best airport experience I have ever had in my life, and you'll quickly find out which one of those two extremes I am. Um, We got to the airport. They asked, oh, you guys are the Powers family? Yes. TSA rushed over to us, begged us to follow them. They literally ran us through the airport. We're all at a jog, dragging our luggage, whatever we didn't have to check. You see those people that get to circumvent security? We were those people that day. We got to go where the the security people go, not where the passengers go. And they got us to the end of the line as the last five people were getting on the plane. This, I repeat, was my best flight experience of my life. 
I spent zero extra seconds at the airport. I loved it. My wife was out of her mind. Just panicked. And that's fair. Like, she's she likes to be prepared. Like, she's the person that's going to show up early. Like, I, I you know, this, this is not judgment. This is just... I have a rule. I don't want to be at the airport any longer than I have to be. She's got a rule. I want to be at the airport without any worry whatsoever. So we need to be there two hours early. Huge digression to explore the difference between a value. Again, a a premium example of a value is I'm a, a very spiritual person. I grew up with God in my life or Allah or Buddha or whatever your spirituality is. My parents sort of introduced me to this. This is who I am. And this will be with me for the rest of my life. And nobody's going to talk you out of your belief in, in the higher power if you, if you have that. Um, somebody could talk me out of my rule about being at the airport. Somebody has. <laughs> I call her my wife. I now have to show up at the airport an hour early. <laughs> I think but, there's another interesting piece to the spectrum because you know, the values are very personal. Uh, core principles, um, you know, we're talking like three, four, maybe five things that you really need to be able to thrive. If they're missing, you're off. You start getting into principles and rules, and that's where there's a lot of more aggregate ground, that common ground that you find with people where you agree on things like leaving it better than you found it or trying to be supportive in any situation. And you really start to build your principles for your organization and your culture or your rules for how you run your life, they get broader, but they also are something that you'll share with a lot more individuals. And it's important that I think emotionally you're more content when you're working within your core principles and definitely your values. Another person who can can shed light with an, an immense amount of background from studies and research would be Adam Grant on working in your value set. But then when you get into things like principles and rules, uh, that's, that's again, that's the, the real culture. That's where do we overlap each other with core principles and what are the, the shared principles? Mm-hmm. And again, something we'll get into down the road, but it's a lot more fun. And there, there may be, 10 or 15 different things that are principles that y'all share together. So if this is a brand new concept to uh, an individual that you're talking to in, in the invitation to help them get to know themselves or get to know how some people may feel they absolutely know themselves, but they may never have verbalized it before. And you might be surprised. Ask, just ask yourself as you're listening to us talk about it. Have you ever talked to somebody about these four levels of things that you, you believe that's really what we're talking about? So for values, there's, there's not a lot of guidance I can give you other than what did you grow up with? What are, what are things that you grew up with as a kid, friends, family, whatever, that seem to be very consistent through your life? I, I, the religion or the spirituality example is the easiest one to point out because that's usually – people may balk at the, my use of this word, but it's usually indoctrination. You are born into it that this is what we believe in this house. And that's one of the reasons that it's hard. I would call it a toe not to step on. <laughs> yes. Yes. These are the, these are often the topics that we don't want to discuss. Like maybe in mixed company. Which immediately friendly, makes us want to discuss it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but, but most people in friendly, friendly company, they don't talk about religion or politics and things like that because these are values usually. So if they're off limits in your uh, dinner parties, that's probably a value. With core principles, one of the ways that I've thought to help people explore what their core principles are, because it's not always easy, believe it or not, for people to understand what are the three things or what are the three to five things that 
are so important to me that sort of all of my life kind of turns back towards these things. And if one of them is missing in my life, something is amiss and you can tell. Sometimes people can go, oh, well, let me think about that for a second. And within five minutes, they can rattle off three to five things. If they can't, what I usually encourage them to is what are the things that piss you off the most about humanity (laughs) right grumpy old man (laughs) grumpy old man but seriously one of the things that one uh, so i'll tell you mine my three are be a good human always be improving protect the tribe i'm just going to start with the first one be a good human what do i mean by that just acknowledge the fact that you are in a community unless you are out on the mountain with nobody around for hundreds of miles you are involved in a community act like it don't park like an asshole don't take up two spots don't run up somebody's ass on the freeway and expect that they're just going to hop over like give them a moment to find the spot or whatever and by the way don't don't be the asshole that's slowing this guy down move over like that's what i mean be a good human acknowledge that there are other humans around you and it's getting harder and harder to do this thing because people have their phones one of the things same same similar traffic example is somebody who's staring mm. at their phone and they're walking in a space where there's no way around them and they're take they're taking one slow step at a time and they can't be bothered to look around and see that people would like to get around them you're not being a good human you are part of a tribe. You are part of a community. See see the fire? See, see how I'm getting worked up about it? This is how I know it's a core principle. And it's my number fucking one. Be a good human. I strive to be an exemplary human. Am I all the time? No. Of course not. I try though. It's always on my brain. This, again, all of this is just to give you an example of what a core principle it is. Think about the things that drive you the most insane and that you personally work, you strive to avoid doing yourself. That's probably a core principle. That's that's a good clue. My second one, always be improving. This is one where I can tell that I'm not aligned with the universe if I'm not currently doing something to grow. I can feel it. It's it's a question I have to ask myself if I'm feeling any kind of depressed. Like, well, am I growing? Am I doing anything to improve myself? No, that's the answer. The second that I take action to improve myself, I'm back back aligned with the universe or God or whatever you believe. Um, I'm myself again. And then the third one, protect the tribe. That's particular to me. I've always been protective. I'm the youngest of several brothers, by the way. For whatever reason, I turned into kind of a psycho protector and it worked out nicely as a leader because I always felt it was my job to protect my team from the bullshit. Because if you work in a corporate environment, there is bullshit. There's much bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're a leader, you can make it your job to protect your team from as much of it as you possibly can, which I did. And I was very proud to and eventually became one of my claims to fame. We talked about this earlier. Quick aside, one of the things that I love to do is educate somebody on what my job is so that I could go on vacation and they could do my job, develop themselves, learn new skills, be introduced to other leaders and other, you know, environments essentially. And it makes them grow, helps them grow. It's my number two core principle. The only way that I would release to somebody, this is some of the bullshit that I am trying to protect you from is and like letting them get a glimpse behind the curtain because they had to do my job for a week. They needed a little why. Yeah, and and people would see some of the nonsense that I dealt with that I never let get down to to them, to, to the floor, essentially. And they would be like, I, I heard multiple times, I don't want your job. Like, I get it. So aside from those glimpses, I was doing my best to make sure people were not dealing with any nonsense that they didn't have to do in their job. 
Hence my third core principle being fulfilled on a regular basis, protect the tribe. Those are mine. I'm not suggesting those should be anybody's. I'm, t- I'm giving you examples of why they are so personal to me in order to help you understand what your core principles might be. Yeah. Get down to principles and principles are usually discussed, thought about, pursued. It takes a while. In fact, if you want a really good example, read Principles by Ray Dalio because that's where all this comes from. And he will actually list a principle and then that that little part of that chapter after that stated principle will be here's it's fleshed out. Here's what it means. And he, sometimes they have stories about here's how this came to pass. This is why this is a principle now. In the beginning of the book, before he even gets to the principles themselves, he explains how all this came to pass and why it's valuable to come up with essentially guidelines. We know this about this situation now. In fact, it's not even worth it to go into an example. It's more worth it for you to go read that book. Like, just go read the book. And then rules are all the little stuff in between. I mentioned an example, a silly one about getting to an airport, you know, at a certain time frame. Your rules might have to do with when you do or don't eat, what you do or don't eat. These things tend to be much, much more flexible than values. You may or may not have grown up with them, but you may have had conversations over the course of your life and you've changed a particular rule dozens of times. And that's... That doesn't make them that, that doesn't make them not valuable. That just means that they are more flexible and there's there is value to that. Well, I was gonna run through my core principles as well. And it's it's interesting in hearing you go back through them because it's it's very much that self-reflection. I've actually always kind of put the core principles in and I, I think it's because of the working relationship you and I and I have had. I've always put them into the context of work. We share be a good human as the first one. And it is very much the same thing. Uh, Being a good human means not taking advantage of people. It means self-awareness. Things like where you park, how you park, how you drive. Uh, I can't stand being at the grocery store with the people in the cart and they walk down the middle of the aisle looking at everything and moving slowly and all you want to do is get to where you go, right? Well, you know, just a quick, quick add to that, like spirituality fits into this. Be a good human could also be the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Be a good human. Don't kill another human. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and in the context of work, being a good human and those expectations that we have of others and for ourselves I think of it as kind of the the three-legged stool with any one of the three that I have, if they're missing, I'm not going to be happy in that role. And that's part of what I tend to share of what I need to be able to thrive in an environment. And so that's how I contextualize it with people when I ask, what are these core principles that you need to have to be authentic, to engage, to be yourself and fully present in whatever role, and it could be work, it could be personal, it could be anything. But being a good human, if you're asking me to sell things to people, and I've been in this position, selling things to people that they do not need. I had a manager one time where I'd been working for a couple of months, I'm getting to know the products, and I talked somebody out of something because it was not in their best interest, and I explained to them why I wouldn't do that. My manager pulled me aside and said, dude, I'm paying you to sell, not to think. I started looking for a job the next day Yeah, because I wasn't going to be able to stay there and be whole. So uh, my second one is always be creating. I'm a very creative person. I'm a musician. I build things. I do woodworking. 
I didn't really see myself as an artist until I really recognized the fact that it's just what level of artist. I don't I don't make a living doing artistry, but it's something that has to be included. The interesting thing was when I realized that that needed to be a part of my work environment is where I started doing things like uh, creating these types of situations and the one-on-ones, taking on projects and becoming a project manager and actually being able to fulfill the need of what a company or a corporation has to have, but doing it my way and being able to be creative, it engaged me in the work. So uh, working with Max, for instance, as an interview specialist, um, working on retention, attrition, culture, onboarding, all these different projects that we worked on and I was able to be a part of, that was my favorite part of the job because I got to think of new ways to engage people and be creative. Building that into anything that I'm doing is something that I need in order to feel content. If I'm doing something where I have no authority, no control, no ability to create anything that is my own with my own ideas, I would become stagnant. And that's that's where I would probably either get bored or be discontent. And then the third one is also protect the tribe. And for all the same reasons, my role as a manager and my intent from last week coming into that is to be able to take the shackles off of people and let them be who they are, know what their strengths are and thrive, know what they need to have. What are the three legs of their stool for these core principles and what kind of a work environment do they need to step into the fray, get their head off the desk, come in dressed and prepared to be a leader and then allow that to happen and finding what makes people tick. That's that's critical. Yeah. Again, a whole other episode we're going to get to down the road is uh, we talked about in the very first episode is what I believe is crucial to every leadership, which is leaving the fuck alone. But again, (laughs) that'll be a whole uh, subject all to its own. The next step in identifying getting to know them, helping them kind of get to know themselves. This kind of ties back into expectations a little bit is how do they want to be led and how does that fit into the way that you tend to lead? There are probably not dozens, but there are multiple ways that people prefer to be led. There's usually either people like to be left alone or they'd like a lot of structure. And within those two categories, there's there's a lot of navigational you know, room, essentially. But asking somebody, like, what do you prefer to see from your leader? Almost always, if, if nobody's had a leader like this before, we'll blow them out of the water. Think, what do you want to see? And if they've heard that question before, it's come from a place of, you're supposed to ask like that, that there's a lot of that that was starting to happen in the company that we worked for is they were trying to build this stuff in the expectation for you to hold up to it was not there. A culture of caring, but with zero context, but with zero context. So asking how they want to be led. Do you, do you like a lot of training? Do you want me to be checking in on you every day? These kinds of things, but that's, that's only half of it. Knowing how they want to be led is fantastic and it's a great start. But identifying how that actually fits into the style that you prefer to lead in is that's where the magic happens. Because I have been told in no uncertain terms, I promote a leader and I remember this very specifically. He said, I want structure. I want to be told what to do. I'm a soldier and I need you to tell me what to do, when, how, and all that. And I said, well, I'm, this is going to be one of the first times I ever say this, but you are shit out of luck. Get curious. Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, we did. We, we explored why. But I, I did have to tell him right up front, 
I'm, I just want to be transparent. That's not going to happen. Here's my leadership style. I'm going to tell you what hill to take. I will meet you there. If you need guidance along the way, send emissaries back to find out whatever information that you need. I'm using an analogy, of course. But take the hill. Take the hill however you're comfortable taking the hill. That's where the team will be in so many days. I expect to see you there having taken the hill however you're comfortable taking the hill. I think it's worth taking a pause there because if you if you are a leader as opposed to a manager, and I am I'm not saying manager is a derogatory term, but in the context of how I like to use it, leading people is guiding them. Mm. Managing them is telling them what to do. Yeah. If I tell you what to do, you're not learning anything. Yeah. If I tell you what to do, the odds are you're gonna do it my way. And then you're going to tell your people to do it my way. And now we've got this crap rolls downhill scenario where there is no why, there is no authenticity, there is no growth or creativity or innovation, and you have a bunch of order takers. I'm not interested in order takers. I am interested in developing leaders who can think for themselves and come up with ideas on their own. And uh, maybe that's the pitfall of having that, that much creativity desired within my own lack of structure it it's critical you can't be a leader if you can't teach other people how to lead themselves yeah you can't do that when you're an order taker yeah it's it's perfectly normal perfectly healthy i think a lot of humans have a desire to create in whatever environment makes sense to them um sometimes people don't understand that they are creating when they're doing something new or they think of a new way to do something that's creation just because you're not writing a song or you're not making a movie or you're not drawing or, you know, painting a painting, that doesn't mean you're not a creator. It doesn't mean you're not creating. So the, I'm going to fast forward real quick and tell you the story ends well. I did help him understand. I'm also going to asterisk this. If you're talking about a sole contributor and they say, I need to be told what to do, that is meeting them where they're at. And you say, okay, we can do that. If you need to be told exactly how to do your job, we can do that to a certain point. At some point, you're going to need to be able to do it on your own. That's why we hired you to do this job. Because if I have to walk you through every step every day for the rest of your work life. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's different. That's not going to work. But here was the question that I posed to him. So let me get this straight. You want me to tell you how to do, how to lead. You want me to tell you how to do everything that I want you to get done with your team. And he said, yeah. And I said, doesn't that mean that you're just passing along everything I'm saying to your bankers to your sole contributors who are on the phone talking to customers if i'm telling you how to do everything and you're telling them how to do everything what do i need you for shouldn't i hire somebody else or shouldn't i just take your team and run them myself my, my, myself myself and that was a i'd like to think that was a good eye-opening experience for him i said listen i will meet you halfway i will provide a ton of structure good news for you the team that you're promoting into is full of experts and they're all exceptional at the job. The bad news for you is they all have, there's nine of them and they have nine ways of doing things. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Have nine different conversations about how to do a thing. Pick your favorite or pick a version of your favorite and do it that, that way. This is the way that I can meet you in the middle and not telling you how to do everything, but I can tell you there are ways to do things that all of them work. I have a question Yeah, because I'm sure that this came up in, in some sense in the context how did you ensure that if he had a bunch of experts that this person doesn't also screw that up by saying well you can't do it this way anymore you need to do it my way because if they're an order taker a lot of times they will expect others to take their orders that's a good question one of the things that i would do to ensure that that wasn't happening in both directions one is 
And he would do this, by the way. He would go to them and say, Max told me I have to come ask you how to do this thing. Luckily, <laughs> I had nine I experts. didn't want to do it, but he made me do it. So yeah. I don't want to be here. I don't really want to learn, but he's going to make me. Oh, wait a minute. That's yeah. And, and there was a lot of that. And fortunately, he was one of the last people that I promoted to the position, which means I had nine experts on the field that had all been through all of this before. They were very familiar with my style. They'd all had very similar conversations. So by the time he's coming to them and going, Max made me come to you and ask you how to do this thing, they all just sort of shook their head and laughed and went, I'll tell you what, I will tell you how I do the thing, but I recommend that you go talk to your eight other peers because that's how we roll. And it was there was a consistency to it. You'd come up with a common language, which, again, we're going to get to that later. So they would know... That's not what Max said. Max didn't force you to come talk to me. He said, odds are good you're coming to me because either A, you asked him how to do something and he went, there are nine nine people on this team that know better than I do how to do this thing. Or B, you put him in a corner and said, I need you to tell me how to do something. And he went, all right, fine. I'm going to force you to do this thing. So technically you're right. Max did make you come talk to me. This is all happening internally, of course. The beauty of it, though, when you have what what you had as a cohesive team and this new person coming into a team that's already got trust as a, a baseline for what they're yeah, doing. Absolutely. It rolls back to I'm going to use myself in, in that example because we talked about it last week where I'm going to other people who are experts in different things and All of a sudden, it's like, well, what does this person think of this? How does this person do it? You get to take the aggregate pieces that you would resonate to. Yes. Uh, That's that's the wrong way to phrase that, that resonate with you. You get to pick the best of this incredible team, and you're going to build some bonds because you do certain things in certain ways that other people don't. But you, you literally get this professional advice to pick and choose God forbid somebody else knows how to streamline something better than you and you don't have to work as much, as long, or as hard because somebody happened to be smarter in a certain area than you and now you get to adapt that. Yeah. And then you get to teach that to people if they want to learn to do it that way. Or maybe they, and and it's happened, an employee of yours who's dynamite at something and you're teaching them and they're like, well, I actually like to do it this way. And hey, guess what? <laughs> now I'm giving feedback to an entire management group about somebody's idea on how they streamline and how they do something more efficiently. And this feedback and flow, I think that's the culture that we really want to have. Mm-hmm. If I seem excited, it's because it's a lot of fun, because that's where you get better and better and better. And you don't just start beating people on a monthly basis. You start outpacing them to where uh, we used to have a joke. Um, so I'm, I'm stealing a line from you. Somebody may catch us and be number one or number two for a month, maybe two. Maybe. But at the end of the year, because we were constantly in that top three, we were always number one at the end of the year. And that reason was consistency and that 1% improvement constantly happening in the background. It didn't have to be a whole new policy or a whole new process. It just needed to be something that made it simpler or easier. And it was these little micro improvements. And at the end of a year, if you made a micro improvement a week, so now you have 52 micro improvements, you're, you're saving hundreds and hundreds of hours of woman and man time and it's incredible at the end of the year to look at that it's a nice bow to put on things and it's why that it's why this guy had to go through a little bit of a trial and error process is that in my system my philosophy 
nay. My belief is that if people are allowed to do things the way that makes the most sense to them, they're going to crush at those things because they're comfortable doing them the way that they do. They're playing to their strengths. That is protecting the tribe. Yes. And as long as they get to do the job the way that makes sense to them, the job gets done uh, like amazingly. And he was not wrapping his brain around that. And it took some time, but he got there and he absolutely developed his own way to do things and borrowed a bunch of stuff from everybody. So there's a happy ending to that story. It's, one of the only times in two decades of leadership experience where I had to tell somebody, I got bad news. Like, it's if this is what you want, it, there's gonna be a bit of a struggle. But the asterisk to that is, I hired a leader, and it's not like he was a stranger by then because he'd been in my organization for years. It's not like he was a stranger to how the leaders operated. Normally, when somebody says I would like to be led in this particular way, there's some a lot of accommodation room. And I can say, I, I can absolutely find a way to meet you halfway. And I still technically found ways to meet him halfway. But it was the only time I had to say, this is going to be a little bit rough. But good news, there's no point at which you're going to be allowed to fail because there's the network of support is too strong. You will be fine. You're going to be a little uncomfortable. That's all this means. You're going to be a little uncomfortable for a we while. We all shared that responsibility. Yeah, Absolutely. Part of how they want to be led is finding out what they want to do. Josh covered this in a previous episode. What's your dream job? What would you like to do here with your time? Maybe you don't want to be in this company forever. And then how can I help you do those things? How can I help you get what you want? The part of this that we may not have covered a lot is now how can you help you get your get yourself what you want? Because I'm going to go to work for you. Yeah. I'm going to think of all the ways that your particular skills or experience could expand I know the job better than you because you're coming in. Odds are good. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes, Actually, Josh is a good example of being the, the exception where he hadn't done this exact job. He had done their job. He had been on the phones. He had done sales. He had done customer service. Um, he hadn't done it with this particular company. He came in as a leader. But he still knew the, the overall game that his employees were in better than them on average. And if he didn't, if somebody had been on the phones longer than he had been, ever been on the phones, I would imagine you were Not like... Not possible. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're 100 tens years old. Tens of thousands of calls. It was <laughs> tens of thousands of calls. You can still apply the same idea, which is trying to get to know what they want, how you can help them get it, and then once you've committed, I'm going to help you get what you want within reason, then the next step is... How can you help yourself get what you want? Because I can only do so much as the leader. You still have to do the job. We should we should talk for a hot second about permission and how powerful permission is. Okay. When you're asking somebody what they want, you very often uh, in in the cultural environments that we certainly grew up in, you have to in some way emotionally create what I mean. It, it's the psychological safety for them to ask for anything, be audacious, just ask. We used to joke in my my last position uh, that we needed coffee mugs that said just ask because it was a constant where there was a lot of trepidation around things and you really, you need to give them permission to think bigger, to make mistakes, permission to ask for what they want, not just not just the needs, the wants. Like, you know, well, I, I need... X and Y and Z, but what I want is this other job or it's a job outside of this company or organization. You need to give them the permission that nothing is off the table and everything is okay because 
the support is going to be unwavering for whatever those goals are. It should be noted that you're not always going to be able to tell them yes. You know, they may want something from you or the company that you're not allowed to give. Expectations and parameters that have been set, for sure. That doesn't mean they can't ask. Compliance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would like to tell a customer to fuck off once in a while. Like, believe me, I would love to give you permission to do just that. Because sometimes people deserve to hear that. No. <laughs> However, just because I have to tell you no doesn't mean you shouldn't ask. Because another thing I'm going to quote myself on is, <laughs> and I don't even think this is my quote. I've heard it a lot and I've said it a lot, is if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah. So the worst case scenario is you ask and I have to tell you no. But if you didn't ask and we don't know, maybe the answer is yes. I would joke. It's ask for the the moon and the stars. If all we get is the moon, we've got another interstellar body that we didn't have beforehand. And it's it's That's amazing, deep, man. Yeah, it's it's amazing what happens when you truly ask for what you want to see happen, even if it's just one step towards that. And then you fulfill that. They've now seen your ability to fulfill that next piece and the next and the next. And you are growing, which leads to engagement. And it leads one small step in front of the other towards whatever that goal is. But as a manager, back to the, the point of this chicken walk, permission is one of the most powerful things. I can't tell you how many situations I've been in recently where leaders who are working too much, too often, answering emails at night. You can see they're answering emails at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, well, you guys don't need to do that. It's different when you create a culture and you don't send the email at 1 a.m. You actually, maybe even if you need to do that and that's when you can get your work done, Put it in so that it automatically sends out at 8 a.m. So it'll be there when they get there in the morning, but it doesn't look like you were working all night. But it reinforces that permission to take your time off, take your breaks, take your lunch. How many people listening to this podcast as a manager just work right through your lunch and don't even take a break? Do you think that the people that are working for you don't see that? And they might need something as simple as the permission of, I'm going to walk down the street and get a coffee. I need a break. Yeah, because we all do and we all need breaks. Yeah. All of this leads to how do we best spend our time? And that's what you're trying to educate them when either coming to your team or if, like I said, all of this is leadership beginnings. Most of this is assuming you're kind of new to leadership, but it might just be assuming that you're new to the team. I'm going to reiterate that as many times as necessary, but all of this comes down to how do we best spend our time? It is the most basic concept for any job for almost anything we're doing is how am I most effectively spending my time? If you get to know somebody and you identify their leadership style, you identify what it is they want to do, then you can help them focus what they spend their time on these 40 plus hours a week, or if they're part-time less on what to do to most effectively get whatever it is they're after while simultaneously helping you achieve whatever your job is, because part of your job is to help them get what they want and do what they're supposed to do sad state of affairs but part of your leaders to make sure they're doing the job that's just it that is what it they is. are they they have a reasonable expectation that you will fulfill the reason they are paying you correct that's what this comes down to how do they best spend their time and then the last part of this is sometimes you may have to question the person or question yourself about the person if they're not willing to face this fact is are they a job fit 
and I I heard a phrase that I I loved when I first heard it, and I still use it every once in a while, which is sometimes you have to free up somebody's future. Does that mean that you have to be cold and callous about it? Absolutely not. Helping somebody realize that this isn't a job fit can be the best thing that you can do for them and for your team. Certainly, it can benefit you. If you if you've got a real headache on your hands because they're not a job fit, then of course you're doing yourself a favor. But that's not why we're in leadership. You're not in it for yourself. Going back to developing others, you can hit a wall. Some people, it's just not right for them. And we were in our particular job, Josh and I have talked about some of the things. It was a bank, it was highly regulated, it was a contact center, they were on the phones all day. There's a lot of good things about that gig. There's some real flexible leave of absence policies, there was a lot of time off, there was ergonomically designed furniture and climate-controlled environments, and a lot of things just comes to you as the worker. That's a pretty cush gig. Is everybody suited to speak to customers all over the world and keep their cool even when those customers are going to lose their mind because we're talking about something as important to them as their money? Nay. Not everybody is suited for that job. And if you're a leader and you've been at it for any length of time, you may have encountered a person in your particular field, in particular, in your particular job that wasn't suited for it. And that's okay. And that's okay. It doesn't make them a bad person. But unfortunately, it is now your job to help them discover that. Sometimes you have tools. Corporate may give you disciplinary actions to follow. We call them performance improvement plans. You haven't done this thing satisfactorily. I'll give you a basic example. Our average length of call time, if you're context center environment at all, you know what I'm talking about. We call that average handle time, maybe AHT for short. Generally speaking, let's just put a real generic number on this. Average call time, we want it to be about five minutes. Average. That does mean that you can talk to some people for 10 to 20 minutes. That's also counting on the fact that you're going to talk to a lot of people for a minute and a half. Average out, we want it to be about five minutes. If your average is double, then we have a problem because you are talking to many fewer customers than we would like you to. You are probably causing bottlenecks and hold times. You're, you're contributing to it at least. And we need to improve that. We need to find out how to get you more efficient with your phone calls with your customer. If you're a person who just likes to chat and every chance you get, you're going to drag this phone call out to 20 or 30 minutes, you sound like a lovely person. You may not be suited for the job because we have a requirement. Is it my choice as a leader? No. We're talking to middle managers here. They have no fucking say over the metrics or what they should be. These decisions are made in the C-suite. And by the time they get to me, I have no choice in the matter but to ask people, this is what we're looking for. I understand that there's going to be some variance. Of course there's going to be some variance. I had people on the phones that were averaging two-minute calls when we were only asking them for five. And their customer service their customer quality scores were still through the roof because they're just, they're fast talkers, they're fast thinkers, they're efficient, they knew the job like the back of their hand. 
there were times where polish was needed where they needed two and a half or three minutes because they needed to actually get some emotional traction to yes. get the customer service score. Uh, and they weren't balanced because they were just, yes, no, done off the phone. Yes. So there's that balance always. Yeah. And, and there was even the worst version of that, what we would call call surfers. They're, they're, they're cruising. They're just trying to blow through calls. And their customer service scores are crap because of it, because people feel rushed and nobody wants to feel rushed when they have a problem, specifically with their money. All this to say, you're going to find people who just aren't suited for the role. I'm not suited for the NBA. (laughs) I'm five and a half feet tall. I can't jump that high. I used to play basketball when I was young. If I tried to join the NBA right now, I would not be suited for the job. If I was allowed on the floor, it wouldn't be long until they freed up my future. (laughs) So this is an extreme example, but it still applies that there are going to be cases where some somebody should just go find something else to do. You can do a couple of things. One is you can help them self-discover this. Two is you can guide them on the process on the way out. And three is you can go out of your way as a leader to go, I have some other life experience that may be beneficial to this. I've worked for this job or that job, or I've had success on ZipRecruiter, or I've applied to state jobs and I've found some success there. Like, You don't have to stop at whatever your experience is with the company. In fact, this is where many leaders go wrong is they limit their conversations with their employees to their own company experience in the company they work for. That's not realistic and you're not being a human. You have experiences outside of the company unless you started working there from the time that you were walking and talking, in which case we need to talk about some child labor laws. Otherwise, you probably have some experience outside of this company that could be beneficial to them. So then your job at that point is to help them as much as you can understand this probably isn't for you. And if you decide that it's not for you, ideally so that I don't have to decide for you that it's not for you, then how can I help you find something else? And we've done that. My team did that a lot. We encountered people who weren't right and we guided them to a new job in the future. And in some cases, those people stayed in contact with their leaders over the years, thanking them profusely for getting them the hell out of there because it wasn't working. Yeah. Those initial conversations might sound something like, you know, again, the expectation of the job, uh, a specific metric that somebody needs to hit and whether or not uh, that is a skill that they have, a skill that they can develop, or if it's something, frankly, that they're not interested in working on. And that's where that context comes in. You have two options at the beginning. We can either work on this and make improvements and get to this point, Or if it's not something you can do or you're not willing to do, let's look for options that fit your strengths. This goes right back to the intent of being a good leader, uh, the the intent of using those core principles of just being a good human. Side note, we will get to the point where we'll we'll guide the audience through having having conversations about disciplinary action if you have to go down that route. There are good ways to do it, and then, of course, there are less productive ways to do it. We'll get to that. So... Uh, I'm going to tie right back into about five minutes ago. It's so powerful when you give somebody permission to just accept that this isn't a good fit, that they're not comfortable. They don't like talking to people. Maybe they're an introvert and they took the job because they needed it. They're here. They, they are going to be doing this job until they find something else. But it can be very powerful to have that vulnerable conversation about you know, is this a good fit and could we use your skill set somewhere else? 
uh, it, it's amazing to have that conversation with somebody and watch them just accept, oh my God, I'm so glad to hear somebody say it because I, you know, every day I feel the stress of coming into work because I don't want to be here. And if that's what's happening, that's the greatest gift you can give somebody is that gift of support to find that next role that fits their strengths and fits their personality and fits their core principles. So, and that's part of the reason why it's important to know. So jumping back through our discussion today on truly getting to know your team in meeting them where they're at, um, being responsible for the fact that different people need different things, giving them permission and helping them know themselves as to what's required in this role. But the greatest thing that you can give them and possibly discover for yourself, what are the things that guide you from your values and your core principles to the principles and the rules that you'll set in the culture you want to have and that they'll be a part of setting with you as a leader and how that fits into your style and what they need and how the job fits them. 